Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Today we're starting, we're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit, not so spooky stories of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to dive into one of his roles. And if you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verses uh, 13 through 15, our wonderful uh, sound tech guys are going to put it on the screen here in a second. But John 16, 13 through 15 says this, But when he, the Spirit of truth, talking about the Holy Spirit, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Verse 14 says, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and I shall show it unto you. And all things of the fathers are mine. Therefore I said that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. The Holy Spirit is, one of his biggest roles is to hear what the Father says about you. And then come to you and tell you what he says and guide you in those things. I've heard it said that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be the worst secret keeper of all time. That God whispers into his ears the things about Bob, and he runs to Bob to tell him all the things that he says about Bob. Today we're going to talk about one of the more important things, and that is the power of your personal prophecy. The power of your personal prophecy. How many people believe today with boldness that in 2022 God still is prophesying and it is relevant today that's you how many people would say maybe Pete maybe I'm not quite sure I'm on the fence maybe things have stopped or maybe things have ended Uh, it's just not for now if we have any of those but okay great so we have a group of people that believe that God is still speaking today I personally believe that one of our most important roles in our faith is to fight for truth. We live in a day where truth is now relative. We've taken what we want to be right. Hear that? What we want to be right and what we think feels right and we have convinced ourselves that it is truth because it's what we want. It's how we want it. It's all those things and I want you to understand that there is truth and there is lies. Thanks, Mom. There is right and there is wrong. There is God and there is flesh. Okay, so far, so good. Take it a step further. How about this? There is holiness and there is sinfulness. And what's crazy for me is that one of the most heated debates in our churches today, over the last few decades, I should say, is whether or not the Holy Spirit is still relevant today as he was back then. Whether or not the Holy Spirit is relevant today. Whether or not he's active today. Whether or not he's retired and he's sitting at the beach somewhere. This concerns me, not because I am just a person who believes in 
the power of the Holy Spirit. This concerns me not just because I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. This concerns me not just because I'm somebody who has set his life on believing in the flow of the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues and the miracles and all those things, but it concerns me because if we are going to limit or to isolate or to ignore the Holy Spirit, then John chapter 16 becomes quite the problem because John chapter 16 says thus that the Holy Spirit speaks truth, and if we're going to take away the Holy Spirit, then we take away truth. And what's happened is for some of us, we've experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly of people who prophesy. Can I get a witness? When I was in high school, I went to a church that believed in prophecy. I went to a church that was fantastic, that was great, well-meaning, well-intended, God-loving people. Can we get that out of the way? These are not sinners that are masquerading as saints. These are not wolves in sheep's clothing. These are people who meant well, who thought well, who tried well, but it ended up having some interesting things. On a Wednesday night, our, 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 our youth pastor at the time does this uh, message, and this message that we're a part of is, is a powerful message. And in her message, she tells us that next, uh, this coming Sunday, we are having a prophet come to town. And then she goes on to tell us that you better be ready because this prophet can see all of your sins. And you better be ready because he can call you out from stage. Needless to say, the altars will filled Wednesday night. And we all got saved probably six or seven times just to, just to go through it. But here's the problem, Willow. The problem was is that was a Wednesday and he was coming on Sunday, which meant Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Pete still had to deal with Pete. So... Sunday morning, I wake up in a panic. For 72 hours, I've had to live holy, and I think I made it 72 minutes after service, and I don't know what to do now. Because all I know is at 16 years old, in a very large church, I'm about to be called out in front of everybody, and they're going to reveal all my sins and all my shame and all my issues, and I am terrified of coming to church. The problem with that was I had parents who didn't care. At that time, my parents were driving to Birmingham every Sunday to go to church. I'm going to church here in Prattville. But they made sure that before they went to church, I was going to church. So I'm like, I don't know about this. And they're like, hey, you know what? Go to church. I used to try that with my parents. Mom, my stomach hurts. I don't want to go to church. She would tell me, throw up and prove it. <laughs> you have parents like that. And then you throw up and she says, no, don't you feel better? Let's go to church. Like It was one of those things and those situations in life where we continue that process. So I go to church, but you know what I ended up doing is I, being the smart young man that I was, show up to church early because they had pre-service prayer. And that meant I've got 22 minutes of repentance. And me and my friends show up early for pre-service prayer, scared, begging God, do not call us out, God. We will do whatever you ask. And then we had friends show up a couple of minutes late and now we're like, boom, we're good. It was like we had the last life raft to the Titanic, and they did not. And we're just waving by as we're going down, knowing that y'all are going to get caught out by this prophet. And you know what happened? He didn't do any of it. Not a thing. I know, I repented for nothing. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. The problem that we're running into is that though she meant well, 
it took the gift of prophecy and turned it into a weapon. The gift of prophecy was never meant to be weaponized by the church to manipulate and to shame people into behavior modification. Prophecy, at its most fundamental meaning, is just a message from God. In other words, prophecy is meant to declare what God says about a situation. It's a declaration or a description representing of something in the future that is beyond the power of human intellect, discernment, perception, or foresight. It is something that the Holy Spirit grants us that we normally would not have. The gift of prophecy is us declaring a message of God. And she meant well, and she wanted us to experience a supernatural moment. She had all of those things. The problem was is that that gift that she was trying to use was not meant to restore us unto salvation, but elicit fear so that the numbers of repentance looked better. The prophetic word is meant to draw us into an understanding of who God is so that he reveals his plans. But Pete, in the Old Testament, those prophets, yeah, you're right, the prophets in the Old Testament. And that's not because that was how God did things back then and how God does things now. And in fact, the reality is, is that the vast majority of times that a prophet would declare destruction or judgment on a people group, there was something that we like to call time. A huge gap of time. Sometimes months, sometimes years, sometimes decades between the word of the prophet and the destruction that came. And you know what's great about time? Is it's given an opportunity for you to make a course correction on things that God wants. And even though they had hardened hearts, like we do, and even though they didn't do things the way they should have done, and they didn't take the understanding of what the prophets of God were saying, they were doomed, if you will, because of hardened hearts to be unrepentant. And since they were unrepentant, they have consequences of their own actions. It's not that God gets glory in embarrassing you. God doesn't get glory by punishing you. In fact, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that lead men to repentance. And can I tell you, sometimes God is so good, he says something bad is coming if you don't. Parents, you get that. If you don't stop, something's going to happen. As a kid, I got that a lot. And one time it played into my favor. We were driving down the road, and my dad is notorious. At this season of my life, I was notorious for being, I don't know, what's the word? Crazy? Um, a jerk. Dad, I was like eight. Um, I would lean up to say something, and what does kids do? They pull on the seats. How many people who drive understand the fire of God that shoots up your spine when, you, when you're trying to drive and you feel this? It wasn't once, it wasn't twice, it wasn't three, it wasn't four. I can't even tell you how many times it probably happened in this segment of time. But my dad says, you, you do that one more time, I'm going to pop you. Problem was, I wasn't the only person in the back seat. My angel sister was asleep and she didn't hear the warning. And so she wakes up and goes, hey, and pow, <laughs> what was that for? I'm like, should have heard the warning. <laughs> it was a foretelling of what was to come if I didn't make a course correction. And it came to pass just on somebody else. 
Let me say it this way. In our lives, a prophetic word is meant to awaken you who, to who you are, not scare you back into the shadows. All right. First Samuel, we're going to have a lot of verses. We're going to go through them pretty, pretty quick. So uh, if you don't want to turn, you, they're going to have them on the screen. Poor Joshua, I think he's got, and I kid you not, 20-something verses. Um, so, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 18, Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. The seer, in this case, is Samuel. Samuel is a prophet. So Saul then is looking for the prophet. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up to, before me unto the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow, and I will, what's this, let you go and will tell you all that is in thine heart. The next few verses go through the whole idea of, hey, Saul, you're looking for your dad's donkeys, and they've been found, and it's okay. But he begins to prophesy of the kingship that was inside of Saul that Saul didn't even know was there. In other words, a prophetic word is meant to awaken something that has been dormant in your heart for the beginning of time, if you will, your beginning of your time. The very next chapter says, and the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and will turn you into a new man. That's great. The prophetic is meant to awaken you, the real you. If we can do a little bit of uh, doctrine of man for just a second here. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see that God created man. He created man in his image and in his likeness. And he then breathed the spirit of God into man, and man became a living being. And he was awakened to who he was. God then, before the fall, then tells Adam to do something. What does he tell him to do? Be fruitful and multiply. He also puts him over the Garden of Eden and tells him to tend it. In other words, he created Adam on purpose, for a purpose, and spoke what the purpose was. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve totally screw up. But you know what didn't change? His purpose. It didn't change a single thing about what God said about Adam. He didn't look at Adam and go, well, you sinned, now you're no longer supposed to do this, you're supposed to be this. In fact, there were consequences for sin but he was still called to be a gardener. Man sinned, but God still called. We mess up, but he never messes up. In other words, the very first steps of contending for your prophetic promise is understanding this. You are not a mistake. Come on, say that. I am not a mistake. Jeremiah 29.11, we're going rapid fire, Josh. Uh, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Romans 8.28, for we know that all things, all, for those who love God, all things work together. For those who are called according to his purpose. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you. In other words, God has a plan for you. And one of the very first things is understanding you are not a mistake. It wasn't an accident that you were here. And you have to walk in that confidence. If you're going to contend for your prophetic destiny, you have to walk in the confidence, first and foremost, that I'm here on purpose and for purpose. How many of you understand God doesn't get his feelings hurt if you believe in evolution?
He doesn't get his feelings hurt because you believe in evolution because he knows what the truth is. But let's just walk down this road for a second here. The problem with evolution is it tells us that you are a consequence, not an intentional act. If you are a consequence, then you don't need to ask any questions. So we've got two options here with evolution and creation is this. Is that if I'm not a consequence and I was created on purpose with for purpose, my first question is why? Why am I existing? Why am I even here? Some would argue that our first question should be the who, but you can't get the who before the why. But the why, if why am I even here, then who called me to be? What, what am I doing in this place? Because if I know that I'm on purpose and for purpose, there has to be someone, a divine being, that has called me into something. And if he's called me into something, I've got to do something. The, the problem with evolution is that it's convinced the masses that they are some kind of a cosmic fart. And there was a big bang, and now you are on the skid marks of the underpants of society. You say, Pete, that's horrible. It is, because that's what they've relegated you to be, an animal, a nothingness. You are an accident. You have no purpose. In other words, there are no consequences for your choices because you are just happens chance. If I was to grab some dice and throw it on the ground, I can't be upset on how they roll. It was just an accident. But can I tell you, you are not an accident. And since you're not an accident and you are created on purpose, for purpose, with purpose, that also tells me, Mr. Bob, that we have a responsibility. And that's the craziest thing about the evolutionary concept is it has removed my responsibility from my destiny. It makes me have an excuse, well, I, I, I can't help how things go. I didn't choose to be here. It was just one of those things, and I woke up and I am. So what I do now has little consequence because I'm not responsible this is the danger of where we are. Once we remove the Holy Spirit, we remove ourselves from responsibility of any kind of impact in this world. Jeremiah 33.3 tells us this, that if I call unto God, He will answer and show me hidden things. Matthew 7.7, 7, Ask, and it will be given unto you. Seek, and you will find not and it will be open. How about Psalm 17, 6? I've called upon you, and you have answered me, O God. Incline your ear to me. In other words, your communication with God is supposed to be more than bless this food, amen, and a lot more of God, why am I here? Please help. <coughs> when we talk about God speaking into our lives, we need to see that there are unlimited, I need to specify that, unlimited ways that he can speak to you. For some, it's a still small voice. But just because God speaks to me in one way and doesn't speak to me in another doesn't negate the other ways. I, has anybody ever seen, physically with your own eyes, seen a, an angel, God, something like that? Yeah, great. I've never done that, so you're lying. It's not true. You're a liar, because I've never experienced it. Ha, has anybody heard the audible voice of God? No, you're a liar. I've never experienced it. You go, wow, that's just 
comical at best, but the truth is, is that this is how we dictate other people's revelation. If it's not my experience, it's not your experience. Okay. So the Bible says in Psalm 19, verse 1, that nature and the heavens declare his glory. Let me understand, you can walk around. My dad's notorious for this. Walking around, and God speaks to him through things that he sees in nature. doesn't mean he's worshiping nature, but the nature is revealing God's voice to him. How about numbers with Balaam? God used a donkey to speak to him. In Exodus chapter 3, he uses fire to speak to Moses. Habakkuk has a vision of what's going on. You can see that in Habakkuk 1 through 3. For Daniel, for Joseph, he, they dream. Job says this, that he speaks in dreams and visions of the night. And when deep sleep falls on people, they lie in their beds and he speaks. In Mark 1, we see God audibly talk to Jesus and to John. Colossians 3 tells us there's an internal peace that comes with his voice. And here's where we are. God is continuing wanting to speak to you. Last Friday, two days ago, we had a movie night for their small group. And I was sitting there hearing the voice of God, if you will, watching a movie. In other words, he's speaking to you through ultimate, unlimited amount of means, through song, through words. There's no way that we can look and say that God can only speak to you in this way and this way alone because he has shown through his richness and in his mercy multiple ways. You know what's great about that, Matt, is that God speaks to you in the language you hear. He speaks to you in the language you hear. Some of you guys hear better by walking through and calming your spirit, and God just reveals himself. Some of you guys hear better in a moment like this on a Sunday morning. We're in worship, and the, 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 the worship is playing. The music is going on. The loudness is going on. It's drowning your stress, and all of a sudden, he opens your heart. Sometimes he speaks to you in a message like this. The amount of times that God can speak to you a prophetic destiny is unlimited. The question is, is are you ready for it? Are you listening for it? Are you seeking after it? Or have we just decided that Monday through Friday is just, a, 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 just work days and it is what it is? It's out of our control. Can you put 1 Timothy 1 up, please? In 1 Timothy, Paul looks at Timothy and says this. And this is one of the most important verses we're going to go through today. This I charge and I commit unto you, son Timothy. Look at this. According to the prophecy which went before you, that you should, by those prophecies, wage a good warfare. This is not a prophetic word about the coming of Jesus. This is not a prophetic word about the destruction of Israel or Judah. This is not a word against Assyria or Babylon or the Philistines. This word is specifically post resurrection about Timothy. He says this in verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience which some have put away concerning the faith and have been made shipwreck. This is a crazy part for me because he tells Timothy, hold on to the prophetic words that have been given to you about you. Fight for them. Wage warfare over those things so that 
you don't end up shipwrecked like other people. There are two types of, of contending that we go with. You have the inheritance. The inheritance of God. Grace is an inheritance of God. His mercy, His love. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. He's just provided for it. Do you know how much work you have to do for salvation? None. It is a gift that keeps on giving. However, there are other areas of our lives, blessings on our lives, that you have to fight for. Paul says, wage warfare. There's a difference between contending for God's goodness in your life and trying to earn God's goodness in your life. Okay, so you've got... You've got God's sovereign will. God is sovereign. He is God. He does what He wants to do. When He has a sovereign will moment on the earth, there is nothing that can stop it. Mankind sinned in Genesis chapter 3. God's sovereign will was that man could be saved again through Jesus. And it doesn't matter what the enemy did. It doesn't matter what humanity did. It doesn't matter what the earth did. God was going to see it to come to pass that Jesus was sent and Jesus was going to live and Jesus was going to die. It was his will for this to take place so that his sovereign will all could have the opportunity to come to repentance. However, there's a difference between God's sovereign will and God's revelatory will. Or God's moral will, if you will. Malachi 3, or 6, which is Malachi. Uh, Micah 6 says then, uh, uh, What pleases God, young man? Thank you so much. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Does everybody do that? Isn't it quite obvious that that's his will? But you don't do it. Which tells me this. There is a will that is out of my control, and there is a will that I coordinate with God. And this is where you find yourself in a personal prophetic word, is that there are things in life in the grand scheme that God is going to do no matter what. There will be a second coming no matter what. There will be a war no matter what. There will be a moment with an antichrist no matter what. That's going to happen. The questions that you run into is not the big sovereign questions, but what is the revelatory questions about who you say that I am? That's what I'm fighting for, God. Who are you calling me to be? This is where you find it in Esther chapter 4. Pastor Allen talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Is you see that there is this destruction that is coming, and, and, and his cousin looks at her and says, God's going to save Israel. That's a sovereign will. But if you don't do it, you're going to die. In other words, this is going to happen. Will you participate? If you don't participate, he'll get somebody else. We've said it before. The amount of times that I have had myself in a weird moment where I go from this place of God, thank you for calling me. And I've wondered this question. How many people did he call before me that said no? How many people in their life, in other words, I'm not that special, and neither are you. 
There could have been 18 worship leaders that said no before EJ stepped up. The amount of time that God has called you to something that you said no to, God goes, okay, next. Okay, next. Okay, how about this way? If you don't do it, I can raise rocks to cry out. It gets to a place where if all humanity says no, God goes, okay, next. Rocks, you going to say no? There's an option in your life to connect yourself to his sovereign will, but it's your choice. God's sovereign will will come to pass. But in this case with Timothy, God says to Timothy, Paul says, fight for the things that God has called for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. I know what they are. Will you fight for those things? Can I give you a hint? His plans are good plans. They're great plans. But sometimes great plans and good plans aren't always fun plans. But I think for me, one thing I've realized is that perception is everything. Hey, Thomas, can you play for me for just a second? When it comes to what's happening with God's plans, is will I contend for his plan? Paul tells Timothy, fight a good warfare. It's a hand-to-hand combat over something. This is not somebody with a drone flying from Arizona and, and dropping a bomb over in Afghanistan. This is two people that are fighting over something. Paul is telling Timothy, you are having two opposing viewpoints. Fight with prophecy. Fight for it. Fight for what he's called you to do. Fight for what he's called you to be. And as we said earlier, there are a million times that we can have an unlimited amount of times that God can speak to us and through us. And sometimes I've experienced it where somebody will stand up and give a prophetic word. Pastor Marshall, you're called to do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, a yes and amen. And sometimes it's not that cut and dry. It is a drop in my spirit of something that I'm called to do. And what's great is that he doesn't always give us the full photo. Just a glimpse. The Bible says that he illuminates our footsteps. It doesn't say he illuminates the entire road. This is a, uh, a cheesy example, but we're going to use it here for a second. So uh, I downloaded a game. It's an older game. It's a game called 1010. Has anybody ever played 1010 on your phone? On, if you have an iPhone, it's a free app. If you have an Android, we'll pray for you. But it's, it's on there, too. <coughs> It's kind of like Tetris. Has anybody ever played Tetris growing up? You're like, yeah, I was horrible at Tetris. Just the worst. So I downloaded this game. Um, and can you go and play it? This is Malachi playing this game, 1010. Uh, the idea here is you've got 10 squares on 10 sides, and you have to continue to eliminate everything that's going on. You'll see at the very bottom of the video that he's got, they keep restoring options. They give you three different tiles on a regular basis and you have to go and line them up and if you go vertically or horizontally then they will delete and you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and you keep going. So this is my son trying to play. Uh, his high score right now is 1421 I think. And you can see as he's playing he's trying to figure out where these pieces fit. How do they line up? Where do they go? How do I keep going from getting stuck? You're seeing him doing his best to Use his mind to see what's going on. The problem that we're running into is that the blocks don't stop. 
There's not this magic number if you get to 25 blocks, they all of a sudden stop. What happens is that he finds himself into a place after a few eliminations where now he doesn't know what to do. He'll get to a spot in this game where he's just stuck. There's more blocks than there are spaces. He's looking at this thing trying to figure out what's next and now he's realized he's done. That he's got a three by three that can't fit anywhere. But here's what's funny. I was playing this game for a while and, and, and he and I have been competing back and forth, and I, and I found that I could get to like 2,200 or 2,300, and I was pretty proud of myself. And then partway through after getting stuck, this is not a joke, I, I kid you not, I had this revelation of, wait a second, why would, there, there's no big ads, there's no pop-ups, there's nothing to buy. Right? I can't earn points I, I, by buying things. I, you know, you play these games and your kids will be like, I need to buy a, 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 a game pack for 99 cents so they can boost up. There's no boosts. There's no nothing. And I'm sitting there watching this game going, what's the purpose of this game? Is everything in this game randomized or is it built on purpose? So I'm watching this game, and I'm playing, and I, and I keep getting stuck, and I keep getting stuck, and I keep getting stuck over and over again, and then I have an epiphany. The makers of this game don't make money when I get stuck. They make money when I keep playing. Because on the very top is a very small ad that keeps rolling. So in other words, there is an incentive for the makers for me to keep playing this game, but I keep getting stuck. So then I thought, EJ, if I was the maker and I wanted you to keep playing, and the longer you play, the more addicting it becomes, then why would I make it where you keep failing? And then it hits me. They wouldn't. So then it went from these three bottom blocks trying to make me stuck to if I was a designer, these three bottom blocks are my answer to getting unstuck. And so when I pull back the phone, I can look at these three blocks now and go, these are not obstacles to stick me, but these are now opportunities to free me. And my score went from 2,200 to 12,000. So yesterday I went to 27,000 because I'm watching these things in a totally new light. And here's what I want you to hear me, is that God has given you prophetic destiny over your life. And the obstacles that are before you are not meant to harm you or to stick you up, but meant to set you free and to reveal who you're supposed to be. The obstacles that God has placed before you are not obstacles at all, but opportunities for you to get free. The opportunities for you to, be, to, to move from one thing to another. The opportunities are before you, come on somebody, to go from one thing to another. And what I'm looking at is this, is that now when we're looking at life, we're going, oh well, we're stuck. Oh well, we've got nothing. Oh well, God doesn't care. And it's just one of those things that life is against me. And God the entire time is going, nope, I'm going to fix it. And here's the crazy part about the game, Dad. It doesn't matter how many times I mess up. It changes those three things to answer my problem that I just created. I'll put a block in the wrong place and I'll see the three, three switch. I'm like, well, that was weird. I'll put a block in another wrong place. they will switch again. And what's happening is that the game's going, we're here to help. We're here to help. We're here to help. Look at it this way. Look at it this way. Look at it this way. And I'm the entire time like, nope, 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 nope. Stupid game. This is what's going on in our lives with God right now, is that we make a mistake and God goes, I can fix that. 
We make a problem, I can adjust that. We do something wrong, I can fix that. And we're over here going, God, you're just, you're against us. He's like, I- I'm here. Look at the angles differently. Rotate the block and see where it fits in your life. All right. I guess I need to be classic Pete and be vulnerable for you guys to get this. <clears throat> Nothing like throwing yourself under the bus to help people get it, right? Eighteen years ago, I'm newly married. Eighteen years ago? Yeah, roughly. My sister and her husband are our are, are small group leaders for our young marriage group. And we go to Peach Park. At Peach Park, I run into somebody we haven't seen in probably a decade or so, and they have a prophetic word for me. And the prophetic word goes something like this, that Pete, mind you, newly married, I hear God say something over your life. And I'm God, okay, what you got? You're going to get a divorce. There'll be restoration and God's not done with you. And I went, I rebuked that in the name of Jesus. Why wouldn't I rebuke that? So here's my question for you. God. Was it God's will for me to get divorced? Heavens no. Heavens no. But here's the sovereignty of who he is. He knew what I was going to do before it even happened. He knew what was taking place a decade and a half before everything took place. And he also knew who I was, Matt. Because in my mind, if you do get divorced as a minister, your life is over. So the idea that he would look at me at the ripe old age of 21 and say, it's going to happen, but it's going to be okay, that doesn't compute to my mind. Do you know what happens to me now, Candace? I contend for that word. Why would God tell me something all the way back then if it wasn't for purpose for today? So when every time somebody who hates and somebody who despises and somebody who wants to see failure and somebody who speaks death over me and somebody who wants to watch me fall and they're running their mouths and they're doing their things and they're stirring up strife and they're doing things. You know what I do? I don't fight them. I contend for the prophetic word that it's going to be okay. I don't look at them as the enemy and the obstacle. I go, God, you gave me a word and it's going to be okay. Every time I look in the mirror and I feel shame and I feel hating myself, I contend for a word. God, you have restored me and you will do these things. This is how a contending word works. Is no matter what the circumstances look like, God is still true. Even if it doesn't look that way, then no matter what's taking place, I will contend for the word. Not because I'm worth it, but because he said that I was worth it. Not because I'm special, but because he called it out. And when it comes into your life, and when it comes to these issues in your life, you have to stand and you have to contend. You contend because he said you could. It doesn't exempt that I put blocks in the wrong spots. But he just rolls them over and goes, I can fix that. 
Your mess is not too big for God to fix. Your mistakes are not too big for His grace. And your problems are not bigger than His prophetic destiny. And I don't know what you're dealing with today, and I don't know where we are in, in, in your walk, but one of the greatest rules about the Holy Spirit is to speak truth over your life. He is the greatest storyteller of all times, and He wants to tell you what God says about you. And as we're walking through one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the prophetic destiny over your life, is this, is that He has a word for you. He's got a word for you. He's got a word for you. He's got a word for you. And we have to call unto Him, and He will answer it. Maybe you haven't been like me, and you've had a Pam call you out at a peach park in front of everybody and embarrass you. But thank God she did for me. Fast forward 17 years, 18 years. I run into Pam. I run into Pam at, what's the one here in Millbury? Habaneros, jalapenos, whatever it is. <clears throat> and I come around the corner, she goes, Pete? Well, Miss Pam has not changed at all. Hey, Miss Pam. We talked for a second, to which she said, I gave you a prophetic word a long time ago, and I'm so sorry that I said it. And I said, I'm glad you did. And I told her the whole story. And you know what she does? She looks at me and she says, Pete, contend for the prophetic new life. Bring it back. Bring it back more powerful than ever before. And it has nothing to do with who I am. But you know why God wants to use the prophetic? It's for you. It's for you. Speaking a prophetic word over somebody's life does nothing for me. It's about you. And when we're contending for a move of the Holy Spirit, we're looking at people who are going to be coming into our, our churches, who are bound, who are struck, who are frozen, who are afraid, who have been beat up, who have been discarded, and we're going to speak a prophetic destiny over their lives. And they're going to go, that's who it was the entire time. This is an awakening of what's taking place. But we cannot be ashamed of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is weird, but he's not spooky. He's weird because every other place and every other church, every other, sorry, every other place and every other worldly thing wants to keep people bound and controlled. And the Holy Spirit's weird because he speaks freedom. You have to contend for the prophetic over your life. We'll dive more into this next week and get even a little more practical about this. But today, if you're here with us and you say, Pete, I have been struggling and I'm, I'm, I'm stuck, I'm going through all these things, I'm like that game and everything that I've been doing, all the blocks that I've been placing have been put in the wrong spot and I, I'm stuck. Can I tell you some great news? And the great news is this is that he can fix all the problems. It may look different, but he can fix it. It may not be the way that you want it to be, but he can fix it. He can do the impossible in your life. He is a restoration-giving God. He is a merciful and gracious God. And one of the greatest things that I think has taken place for, for, for this is that if God can restore me, he can restore you. Let my life be a living example of God's grace and mercy over your life. I have cried out for years that God would use me as a sacrifice for the many. And here I am at this moment in my life going, well, this isn't what I wanted. In my mind, a sacrifice for many is the next Billy Graham, not the next beating post. But it is what it is. His mercy endures forever. Amen?
you're in this place today with every head bowed and eye closed, you can say, Pete, I, I, I am at a spot in my life where a restoration in my life needs to take place. I need to, to set my feet in the right spot. I need to, 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 to ask God. I need to contend for the word. And, and I've let it go, and it's time for me to get things in the right order again. If that's you, just slide your hand up and put it back down. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah, here we are. So God, right now, I just thank you that as we contend for your word, we contend by reminding ourselves of who you said that we are. You have called us to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. The blessing we came in and blessing we go out, that God, everything our hands touch should prosper. God, I just thank you that we contend for a word, that we are change agents in our areas of influence today, God. Mm. We just thank you that you are not done working with us today. I rebuke shame, faults, and failures, God. And I thank you that today is the day that you have made for restoration in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.